Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. We've got a bunch to talk about in this week's episode. Our main topics this week, though, are going to be the Brisbane Regional's late announcement from Pokemon Tournaments coming up in just a few short weeks, but was just announced recently. We've got results from the Warsaw Regional Championships, which took place this past weekend. Plenty to talk about there as we put a bookmark or a bookend, I guess, on the Lost Origin format. We will, of course, have Guess That Flavor Text, everyone's favorite segment of the show. And then we'll give our first impressions of Silver Tempest. Now that it has officially been released, we've both had a chance to play with the cards a little bit. We'll give our thoughts, think about what uh, is going to be good, what's not, what's overhyped, what's relevantly hyped, I guess. And uh, we'll break all that down this week and more. My name is Chip Ritchie, joined here as always by my co-host, Azul GG. What's up, Azul? How we doing, man? Doing pretty good. I guess one thing we could have actually uh, put on our list of topics to, th to talk about as well, but I guess I'll just mention it right now, is that uh, registration happened for uh, San Diego Regionals this week, and it went smoothly. It went well, and I don't think uh, they, were, they didn't hit the cap in like, you know, 10 seconds or something, so I thought I would at least mention that. So I registered for that. Uh, looking forward to the... Coming up events, uh, the new format's been okay. Lugia is obviously good, but I feel like it's kind of lacking. But the new set's kind of lacking besides that. Um, but uh, yeah, been a pretty good week so far. Doing a lot of streaming and stuff like that. So it's been it's been good. How about you, Chip? How was the week? It's been a good week. We actually took a uh, first little family trip with baby Samuel. Went to um, my parents' beach house for a few days this past week. And then we also went to the North Carolina zoo this past weekend. So we've just had all kinds of crazy stuff going on stuff that the baby is not going to remember at all, but <laughs> <laughs> was good practice for us as parents, you know, to get used to how do you do things in public as a, as a parent now with a family, with a child. So yeah, it was a good, good time though. Got to get out and do some fun things. And uh, also looking forward this week to the new Pokemon video games, Scarlet and Violet coming out. I'm going to be picking up Pokemon Scarlet personally and playing through it. Definitely looking forward to that. Azul, don't think <laughs> it's probably going to be uh, <laughs> be on the Scarlet and Violet train, but uh, no. I know it took you like a year to play through Sword, I feel like, right? Or something a little while. Like that. <laughs> yeah, I had like a, I talked about it on my stream this week. They're not... Pokemon video games are, you know, they're definitely made for kids. <laughs> they're, if you're, you know, really invested in Pokemon and stuff like that, they're good, I'm sure. But overall, they are not great video games, um, you know, at their core. Um, hopefully no one gets too offended well, from that. Well, I don't know but... about that. I mean, <laughs> it's just, I mean, if you don't like that, you know, JRPG style, right? Of like the, you know, collect your team and then sure, sure. turn-based fighting and stuff like that. You not know. great video games for me. That's what I should say, sure, right? Sure, sure. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I'm I mean, not, I'm not, was not a huge fan. I, yeah, I played through Sword and Shield, which is my first Pokemon video game ever that I fully played through. Uh, I actually did enjoy our, uh, Legends of Arceus though, but that was like so much different from it the whole open world game, thing. Yeah was like the the enjoyable part of that the the, the other ones where you're kind of more you know i do think a... for what it's worth i don't think this is a spoiler i don't know many spoilers but i do think that this game is supposed to it, it from the trailers and stuff it at least looks like it's going to be more in line with legends arceus a little bit where it's a more open area that you can explore yeah. and just catch all kinds of different pokemon right off the bat so 
Um, I definitely enjoyed Legends Arceus as well. So I think, I hope, my hope is that they take some of that formula and then apply it to like a main series game and not just keep it into a, a spinoff type series with the Legends titles. But we'll see. I'm looking oh, cool. forward to, to trying it out this week. Also, you know, you mentioning San Diego made me think about this and then also talking about the video game here. It was kind of funny on my Twitter timeline to see like uh, I, I get a little spillover of VGC Twitter like I follow a bunch of the casters and then a few other players and stuff like that so I see some of it on my Twitter uh, of their reactions to San Diego regionals because this is the first VGC regionals yeah. and they were all reacting to the fact that they have to pay $70 to play <laughs> at regionals they were like this costs more than the video game that we are <laughs> are buying to play in the tournament but uh they had like a delayed reaction compared to everyone yeah else. yeah it's like oh a couple we went, through, we went through this a couple months ago guys yeah get on the yeah, get I, with the program for some reason i thought the video game wasn't coming out until next year but that wouldn't really make sense if san diego regional is the first uh the first regional with the video game because that's literally the second weekend of the beginning yeah. of the year yeah so the game um, comes and there out is already mm -hmm. there's already like 600 people registered i think for the vgc which is i mean usually their their first regional with the new game is usually their biggest but um it's good to see i wonder how long that's gonna last though before they get down to the you know the hundreds uh, or the 100 200 range which i think is what they're usually at um hopefully it keeps up i'm just always so baffled and surprised by how many people play the video game but there's so few people who play it competitively in comparison especially when you look at the tcg the amount of people who play the tcg are the exact same amount of people who show up to the tournaments and play in it um obviously there is some more people who play more casually local events maybe go to one yeah. region learn no regionals a year but you know you got everyone knows what i'm saying there's so many so many people play the video game, but just um, don't very few play competitively. A much higher percentage of the Pokemon TCG player base participates in competitive play than yep. of the Pokemon VGC player base. And I think that's partially because like so much of the Pokemon video game player base is like people who like to play the singles mode. Like there's like yeah. the whole Smogon Pokemon showdown stuff that I know is massive, but regardless. I feel like it would enough of that would like feed into like the competitive side of things but like it's like it's still such a small percentage feeds into the competitive yeah it is definitely small i mean maybe if the prizes were bigger it would that would definitely get a lot of people's attention on it i feel like right you put, some, incentivize some, people, put yeah. some money on top a lot more people will show up but regardless regardless this is not a pokemon video game podcast <laughs> <laughs> it is a pokemon uh tcg podcast and we're going to start off this week by talking about a couple of announcements from Pokemon. The first one being a little bit of a late slash surprise announcement for our friends down under in Australia. There's a regional championships in just a few weekends in Brisbane. It is going to be December 3rd through the 4th. And this was announced on November the 12th or 13th, I think. So... Not too much heads up from the Pokemon company for our Australian friends. And I definitely saw plenty of them not too happy about this uh, over on uh, Twitter over the weekend. Three weeks, not really enough time to plan a pretty long distance trip. Yeah, and I think... Uh... Oh man, hang on, I'm already like something. Yeah, yeah, I think there was... I think they knew about it a little bit ahead of time. Maybe I'm wrong, but yeah. Oh, no, yeah. Long. What you're thinking of is I, I did see Natalie Miller's post earlier on in the week. She had found on ESL's website, ESL Australia is who runs 
the Pokemon tournaments down in Australia, I believe. Mm-hmm. And on their website, there was a like a phantom post of this regionals existing. And then yeah. she tweeted about it. It got taken down. And then a few days later, the official announcement came oh, out. Did it get taken down? I didn't even know that happened. I didn't know. It got yeah. Taken down. Yeah. It got taken off the ESL website, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of unfortunate. I mean, we have we're fortunate enough to know. Um, I mean, there was a couple of the Pokemon, the regionals we didn't know about, like um, was it Fresno was the one that got recently uh, announced, I guess. But that's not until I don't even know when Fresno is happening. Fresno is um, not even on the Pokemon website. The reason people think or, or oh. know about like a Fresno being on the board potentially is because of one of the organizers t-shirts i remember seeing yeah, that yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the team northwest t-shirts listed all of their regionals and one of them was fresno at the end of the year sometime i think and everyone's like, i didn't even realize that though there's a fresno regionals and it's i mean according to the t-shirt there is but there's nothing on the pokemon yeah. website about it well, I assume that means it probably is going to happen then, because you feel, I feel like they would be they would confirm that it's not happening if uh, it wasn't going to happen. So I feel like that means it is happening. Let's they just haven't announced it, I guess. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, I, I just assumed that it would have. I saw the the shirt. That's the initial thing I saw was the shirt, and now I'm looking at the uh, the official Pokemon page with all the regionals listed, and uh, it's not there. So yeah, <laughs> maybe it won't happen. I assume it would, especially if they haven't confirmed it isn't after the shirt was seen. It's like oh, we had these shirts made before. We knew we weren't going to be able to do the regional, so don't expect it would be something that'd be reasonable to say, I feel like. So I assume it's still probably happening. Um, but yeah, what I was going to say is like, I mean, not everywhere else in the world is as fortunate as North America, to be honest. All of our regionals were announced uh, quite a while ago, probably not as soon as they should have been, at least for the first couple. Um, and then we have had all that information for a while, but yeah, not as nice over in australia all the regionals are announced now it looks like there's three of them listed brisbane perth and sydney um, i don't know if they usually have more than three regionals over there that sounds about right to me maybe a special event or two will make its way onto their schedule um, but at least they're announced now but yeah it does feel just like it was for us with baltimore uh it feels like it's a little bit late uh in being announced by, by the time the first one is coming around. and latin america still has uh oh no they did have another one announced oh no that's the first one they have yeah they they, they no, still yeah. don't have anything else announced past the first regional that they had so yeah, who knows? Yeah, and also something relevant as well. Uh, Jake Lazari responded to my tweet about the situation, saying that the main thing that most non-Aussies don't realize is that these dates are the weekend for schoolies in Australia, which, uh, first off, schoolies, great name. We definitely should change <laughs> the name of spring break in America to schoolies. But schoolies is the Aussie version of spring break for all of those who just finished high school, and it takes place just south of Brisbane, which causes an absolute mess in terms of flight and accommodation prices due to the huge spike for that one weekend of the year. So I'm kind of interested to see what numbers are going to look like for this event. Um, Is there going to be a huge... I mean, you have to imagine there's going to be less people at this tournament than there would have been if it had been announced three months ago for like for sure. Right. <laughs> so um, it's just going to be a matter of how big of a difference does it make. And it's probably going to be a pretty competitive regional as well, because I would imagine pretty much all of the top 10 plus players in Australia will probably be hit this regional. And we're looking at something that could have, you know, around 200 ish players. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Hopefully they get around 200-ish players. I forget. Their last regional, I think, was like 190, if I remember correctly. I'm trying to remember. I think it was like 290. Um, I think they did have three, close to 300 in 
uh the end of last season yeah i mean those kind of things i feel like you can't there's not too much you can put on those kind of things for the organizers of like they can't plan around everything that is happening you know in the rest of the the region or the area or the world at that time you know like if it just lines up with something else that's happening that weekend it just kind of lines up and just i think that's fine so that's like not really i think it ever anything to ever hold the tos against the tos to be honest because you never know um i mean are they going out of their way to like find every little thing that they can plan around maybe this is something that's a little bit bigger a little bit easier to plan around but i don't know that's like something i never really like to hold against tos when there's like something else happening the same weekend as long as they you know they have a decent venue for the event happening and uh it exists reasonably close to some way to get there some kind of means of transportation trains or you know right next to the airport whatever it might be you know just being able to get to the venue location from wherever those people are traveling in from that's really the only thing that really i think needs to matter but yeah just kind of the the lateness of the announcement it does sound from what i've seen on twitter it does sound like quite a few people are choosing not to go because of how late it was announced um but we'll see what the numbers well, end up being like, like that kind of might just be like the loud minority speaking out i guess i don't I know mean, we'll see I don't know if some of I think some of it was people not saying they're choosing not to go with some of the people saying I'm not going to pay two thousand dollars for a flight to go because it's announced yeah. so late. You know, it's like, but I don't know. I mean, it's oh, just that's what, I mean, that's what I mean, like, yeah, I, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what the numbers end up saying for sure. I mean, um, and, end, and yeah. to clarify, <laughs> you were actually right. It was around one ninety for the last regional, yep. which was in Melbourne. The last Brisbane regional had one hundred and fifty players. So, I mean, Probably around that would be best case scenario, but on short notice, is there a chance that we see it even lower, closer to that 100-player mark, which we definitely could. Well, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, it seems possible. It seems possible. And we'll see. We'll see what the end numbers end up being. But of course, I guess you always want it to be bigger, right? Because you want to show that the game is growing yes. and getting bigger. And that's what we definitely saw from the regional numbers, I believe, from Australia last year was mm -hmm. that they were they were bigger than they were the year before so hopefully that continues although for this first one it might not be happening because of the late notice we'll see something else kind of interesting in this whole realm of announcements from the pokemon company this week as well the remaining international championship dates were announced over on the pokemon website mostly <laughs> and then taken away but so <laughs> ocic will be in february on the 17th through the 19th euic in april the 14th through the 16th and then originally it was posted on the website that naic was taking place the 23rd through the 25th someone on twitter though did point out that this is the same weekend as the origins game fair which for those who don't know is a absolutely massive game convention like board gaming tabletop gaming card gaming convention that takes place in columbus ohio every single year at the columbus convention center which is where the pokemon naic tournament happens and there is no way that both of these things could take place at the same time so someone pointed it, it out not? on twitter oh no way dude origins is massive i think there's like no shot i'm trying to think about like how big the convention is. you might be right there might not be room for both i remember especially with how origins... massive of a haul pokemon needs as well yeah i remember the year that origins was the week before naic and there was a special event mm -hmm. um yeah that was pretty big i think it's the only time i've been to origins so it, it was pretty big yeah you're probably right you're probably right it would be hard to fit both. Yeah, I mean, yeah, NAIC also takes up quite a bit of space. Um, so it is possible that it's impossible. Unless it becomes, unless they run it alongside Origins. Like, what if they did that? Well, that's that interesting because the original Pokemon North American uh, National Championships, the American National yeah. Championships, before there was International Championships, 
the original national championships did take place alongside the Origins Game Fair back in like 2005, 2006, that time frame. So there's there's time. definitely a, a history of, you know, Pokemon events with the Origin Game Fair. Now, I don't know if that is the intention and what is going to happen, but what did happen is that the NAIC date was removed from the Pokemon International Championships website and now just yeah. says June 2023 somewhere in the USA. So maybe this say... got pushed out a little early or they're not quite cleared up on exactly <laughs> where it's happening. I don't know. A little bit they of took a away the location. They took away the location as well, which I guess maybe makes sense if you're going to take away the date. You should also take away the location. But we actually just didn't know... I think we're all assuming it's going to be in Columbus again, right? I think it's kind of the assumption, but I guess I mean, we don't know for sure. it's been there the last few NAICs. I mean, it's a fine spot yeah. for it. It's a little weird. I always joke with people about, like, these international championships, how you get to go to Sao Paulo or London or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Melbourne, Sydney, any of these places that it's been in the past. And then for NAIC, it's come on down to Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> Or Indianapolis, Indiana. <laughs> or go over one state to Indianapolis. Yeah. yeah. So uh, NAIC, I think, has always been either in Indianapolis or Columbus, but most of the time. I think only yeah. – was it only in Indianapolis once? Is that right? And then it's been in Columbus no. the rest of the times? No, no, because it bounced back recently. It was in Indianapolis the have year we, before the last one. Have we gone back one. and forth a couple times Yeah. Here? We, we went Columbus, Indy, track. Columbus. Um, and before that, uh, U.S. Nats was in Indianapolis for like three or four years, so – um yeah it's we've had we've had the u.s national tournament whatever you want to call it neic u.s nats in indianapolis like just as many times as columbus now it's like four each or something yeah it's honestly hard to keep track of all this stuff sometimes even between like there was the stretch of tournaments earlier this year where it was like weekend after weekend after weekend and i was in uh uh, milwaukee and i like didn't remember what city i was in because like i had been to like so many <laughs> tournaments the last few weeks before that so uh one of the tournaments at least but yeah. it would be cool to see like a better like a better like i mean i guess that's kind of like for most people in the u.s this is the optimal location midwest probably right like for sure we're just like for the majority of people just putting it in the midwest is probably best and maybe that's i assume that's what they try and do for most of these ICs. Um, and if anyone who lives in, you know, Europe, uh, who lives in, you know, Australia or in Brazil, let us know. It's like Sao Paulo, like a reasonable, do you think like for the countrywide or the, uh, yeah, the countrywide the region area, wide. the region wide area, is that like a reasonable location for a majority? Not maybe not yourself personally, but for like the, the, the majority of people, like I would love it if it was in California because I could probably drive to it. But if I'm being, you know, like realistic, it makes sense for it to be in the Midwest, right? In America, I feel like, I wonder if that's the same for London. And for, you know, Melbourne and Sao Paulo, is that like the is that like a, just a very nice central location for the majority of the region? And or that definitely it, makes or is that better locations. It definitely makes sense for that to be the priority, right? Focus on that yeah. region's, you know, player base, wherever most yeah. of the player base is. Let's go to a, a tournament that's easy enough for that amount of the player base to get there. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. But for yeah, so for America, for, for us Americans, it feels good. <laughs> little bit of a feels bad and for anyone who's like or for some of us americans it's a little bit of a feels bad i'm sure a ton of people in the midwest love driving there but for anyone who's like coming you know overseas uh there's definitely some better locations you could hit be hitting up besides yeah I always joke ohio with people, and indiana like, you would imagine with those international cities like we're going to new york or we're going to la vegas <laughs> orlando nope <laughs> columbus ohio baby so we've actually got a little bit of an update from something we talked about 
last week and the week before. We've talked about this a couple times on the cast now, I think. Yeah. And that was uh, uh, exactly how the Japanese tournament structure works, because if you don't know, they've got their whole own series of tournaments. It's totally separate from what we do in the western part of the world, TPCI. You know, their tournament structure is operated by the Pokemon Company, ours by the Pokemon Company International. And uh, Tuan Lei actually gave Azul a little bit of information uh, about this. If you don't know who Tuan is, we use their translations a lot of the time on the podcast, especially when stuff has just come out. And uh, they're one of the better translators for revealing cards once they get uh, released in Japan and translating them. So go check them out over on Twitter if you have not. But yeah, Azul, you want to share with us what what Tuan was able to share with you? Yeah, yeah. So big shout out to Tuan. Hit me up on Twitter and was like, yo, I heard on the podcast you were talking about you know the japanese competitive circuit do you want me to give you a breakdown i was like yes for sure be sure to go go follow them on twitter um like like chip said they're always translating the new cards that get revealed in japan um so we can quickly uh (laughs) learn about them here uh in america or be able to you know learn what the cards do translate them to english so go follow them at t-o-i-n-e-l-a-y on the twitters um so yeah let's get into it um so the first thing is the, the main way to qualify for the Worlds in Japan is to be among the top players in championship points rankings. They have yet to announce top how many it will be this year. Should be somewhere around top 50. So that's going back to like, we used to have that system for ELO and then I think CP for one year as well after that, if I remember correctly. Um, and I have to say, I think so that I is, that. I think part of that system, I think that part of the system, I always just think that kind of system is bad. <laughs> I'm never a fan of top X. I think there should be some goal you just have to try and achieve. And if you get that, you're good to go. Right. Especially when like Pokemon, I guess like this goes back to the thing I always say about Pokemon. Pokemon, like, you know, it's not like we're just taking the best players in the world and they're playing Pokemon. A system like that would make a little bit more sense for that. But this really is kind of, you know, from from PB soccer all the way up to the professional leagues, right? So just setting like some bar you have to reach to get the world. What's it called? So they have that top X. Um, and then uh, they got three main types of events in Japan. They got the Trainers League, small 16-player events held in stores, so like probably League, league Challenges, League Cups. Um, you can get CP in those, but it's capped at 30 CP for the whole season, so you can't get more than 30 CP from the Trainers Leagues. Then they got City Leagues, uh, 16 to 64 players events. So I guess those would be more like League Cups. Uh, are the main CP earners. Uh, they're held all across Japan in batches, which they which they call seasons, which is kind of confusing. So I guess that'd be like kind of like going back to like battle roads uh, or like when we had cities in the Pokemon and like in North America, where it was like cities happened at one period of the year. And then battle roads, there was spring battle roads and fall battle roads uh, throughout the year. So we kind of going back to something like that, I guess, for anyone who used to play back then. Well, and with <laughs> League Cups, that's kind of what they've done more recently. Yeah, is that yeah. There's each store can run one League Cup per season and then the season goes along with the main set releases right so like oh yeah we yeah so we basically have that as well yeah. I, I forgot about that it's been so long it's been it's been like it three years <laughs> yeah so it would be like the unified minds league cup and then the next one would yeah have that's been right. the cosmic eclipse league cup so on and so forth uh so there's four to five batches per year and you get uh to play in one city league event per batch okay those get between 25 to 100 points for top cutting um Registrations for city leagues this year is done through lottery, but there's enough of them that 90% of players will get a spot. Okay, so that's good to hear. Um, then you have Champions Leagues, the big events with attendances reaching thousands of players. These are so hyped and popular that only about 30% of the players entering the lottery get to participate. Yes, the 3,000 Jeez. Masters in Yokohama Champions League 
where about a third of all the players who had entered, they don't give any CP. So that was like the first thing that I thought was really weird. So you don't get so three thousand players, three thousand players showed up to not get any championship points towards their worlds invite. Uh, although they do give you a chance to qualify immediately for day day one of worlds by making top four. You top four one of these three thousand person events, you get your invite. That is I mean, crazy. I think that's, that's pretty deserved though, well, right? Well, no, you... yes, yes, but that's crazy that that's <laughs> yeah. only top four. <laughs> and that's the only thing. There's no cash prize as well, right? There's no like no cash prize in Japan, but there's they have a really cool um Tuan mentioned that they do have really cool like, you know, championship cards and and other products like that that you do get for placing well or like, showing up to events and stuff. So I think like the top 32 gets exclusive sleeves and stuff like that, too, which I think are pretty valuable on the secondary market, the second hand yeah. market. But yeah, hopefully they get something. Uh, but yeah, that's that. So 3000 players get to play top four of them get the world's invite. But that's out of like 10,000 players who tried to get into the tournament. Yeah. So they do a lottery system for these bigger events where you can all apply to get into the event but they only allow so many into the event in the end. Um, <clears throat> uh, there's actually a few ways to skip the whole lottery thing for Champions League. Players who top cut the previous big event get a guaranteed spot, for example. And I do believe this year the top, the Elite Four, uh, which Shintaro is part of. So last or the week before last, I was asking the question. I was like, okay, there's like lottery systems to get into big events. But then how do people like Shintaro, like I mean, Shintaro is obviously a great player, but like, uh, you'd assume if if like some years you would just kind of get screwed and just not make it through these lottery systems and then not be able to play in the events, which means you can't get a world's invite. But they do, and I've heard of this before, and once Tuan mentioned this to me, I was like, oh yeah, I remember someone telling me about this. So they have an elite four in Japan, which is four players. Um, <clears throat> two of them are the highest placing players. And actually someone commented on the YouTube video yes. the week before last with what this is. <clears throat> so I'm going to read that comment real fast. Um, let me find it. I definitely think the concept it. of like an elite four is very cool where it's like you have a few players that kind of get highlighted yeah. highlighted throughout the year. But at the same time, I can also see a world where some people would feel like, you know, a little bit of favoritism being shown to certain players is not a great thing. So I don't know. I mean, I can see kind of both sides of it here where it's like, why is it fair that this person gets to have an, automatic spot into all these champion leagues that a third of the people who want to play in can actually get to. But then it makes sense because it's like, these are people who are doing something for the game, right? Like Shintaro has a big YouTube yeah. channel and is like one of the best players in the world. So, you know, them being at the event is definitely a driving force to maybe getting other people to come and show up. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, actually I think it's pretty, it seems like it's pretty deserving, especially uh, so someone commented on the, the YouTube video two weeks ago, basically in Japan, they have an elite four system where every year the top two best performing Japanese players at worlds, uh, which was Daichi. And I might be screwing up the other player's name. Y Yamashi. Yamashi. I, I tried to try my best. <laughs> I apologize. Um, so they're, they're part of the elite four. And then two from the members of the elite four last year, plus other notable players that TPC picks from doing well in Japan in, you know, uh, uh, CLs and JCSs, um, then those remaining play those remaining players play a double elimination bracket to determine the last two members of the Elite Four for that year. Um, and Shintaro, so Shintaro had to play for their spot this year, so they took Daichi, Daichi and uh, Miyashi, and then Shintaro and Yoshi. Uh, I'm not going to try and pronounce the full name. Yoshi had to play for their spots in the Elite Four, and they both were able to keep their spots in the Elite Four, it looks like. So those are the the Elite Four in Japan for this year around. And then next year, top two placing players from Worlds, plus uh, the other players, you know, play in a double elimination bracket to try and 
keep their spots in the four. So I think that's a pretty cool uh, system they got going on. It does seem like it is pretty, you know, deserving. The top two players placing players from Worlds and the other players still have to play for their spots, you know, keep them to go into the next season. Yeah, definitely cool. And I think there's some parts of that system that I think are obviously not the best. You know, I think that, you know, getting top 32 at a uh, 3,000 person tournament should probably get you some championship points, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there are some parts of it I really like where there's something to play for that someone could show up with no championship points, have an insane run, make top four, and then they get to play in Worlds. I think that's pretty hype. And I wish that was something that TPCI would do, maybe not at the regional level, but at least at the international level. Um, now, I mean, if you if you get top uh, if you win NAI or if you win in internationals, you get 500 points, which is enough for your invite as a North yeah. American master. Um, and if you get top cuts, you know, maybe that's enough depending on where your region is, depending on what your points requirement is. But I think it would be really cool if they just gave enough points, like an auto invite to people who got top eight or top four at IC level events, um, because that gives us a chance that that adds more invites to that specific region, most likely. Um and also gives people something to play for even if they go into the event without championship points. Like something I've heard from players before, uh, this is maybe more at the regional level than at an international level, but it's like, why am I going to go to this regional that's three hours away from me if I only have, you know, 50 CP this year? You know, it's at the end of the year. I'm not going to get my world's invite. But if, you know, they had a chance to maybe get their invite if they got second place or top four or they won the tournament that gives them a little bit more of an incentive to potentially play towards yeah yeah definitely and then noah who got top eight at naic this last NAIC did not get their invite but they'd only been playing for like two events they played in milwaukee and naic since they um made their comeback to the game so like that's an example that i actually had a friend <laughs> who uh back in the day when we had state championships was out of states uh, and decided to scoop their last round because the CP didn't matter to them. So they gave the scoop to their friend. They're like, I would have to top eight nationals to get my world's invite at this point. Um, there's no way I need these points. I'm going to scoop to you. You can have the championship points. Uh, good luck in top eight. And then they got top eight at nationals that year and did not get their invite. Yeah, that's a feels bad. <laughs> um, so one more, one more, uh, one more tournament. They have the, J uh, the Japan championships um, held at the end of the year top placing players from champions leagues as well as the top 200 players in championship point rankings i uh, get to participate along with a bunch of people who uh who get in through the lottery system still no still no cp on the line here but the top 16 players get a day two invite uh and the top four also get a travel award to the world championship so that's like their last uh last uh last term at the end of the year so that's a really interesting system i feel cool. like overall it's almost like yeah. a national – I mean, it is a national championship pretty much, right? Where yeah. it's like you're bringing everyone who did the best throughout the entire year together and giving them one last thing to play for. That's pretty cool, and I wish – that would be really cool if they did something like that uh, here where they took, like, the top 16 NA players and instead of – because, like, currently in North America, the top 16 players get a travel stipend. The top four players get a travel award. What if they brought the top 16 players together and then had them play a double elim bracket and then gave the top four the travel award? That'd be pretty hype, honestly, right? That would be cool. Yeah, yeah, that would actually be pretty sick. It would definitely be cool to see some more events kind of like that, invitational type events in general, uh, for sure. But yeah, interesting system. The weird thing to me, of course, is that they break up some events, give CP, and others don't. So yeah. as far as, from what I made out from this, only the, the city leagues 
and the championship leagues um give uh oh no not championship leagues, the city leagues and the the one before that the the town league or whatever the trainer the trainers leagues trainers. give cp it seems like um those are the only ones that give cp and then you know like top 50 or so players with cp at the end of the year uh get invites uh and then the other invites are awarded through the 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 much bigger events, but they don't give any CP. You have to have to just do well at those big events. Uh, and then you end up with your world's invite, which, uh, which is more, which is interesting. And I, yeah, I think like uh, from what you're saying, Chip, it would be nice to have, at least here in North America, it'd be nice to have both. Like you have your way to get your CP invite, but then also if you just do really well at some of these big events, you just, you know, pull your invite. Like it's possible to win two regionals and not get your invite. I think if you go to two regionals and win two regionals, you probably have an extra 100 CP to spare somewhere, but it's possible to do that and not get a world's invite, which would be pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, if we never get League Cups, you know, like that, that could happen <laughs> to someone, you know? Yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, that covers the the Japan the Japan invite uh, structure. So thanks so, to Tuan again for uh, uh, reaching out and, and hooking us up with all the information because I was definitely very interested to know and I'm, I'm glad to know now. They definitely have a uh, very interesting system over there. It's definitely different, and I think that there are things I like better about it and things that I dislike about it, but there's, you know, things that I think are great in our system that, and then there are things that I don't think work very well in our current system. So let us know, maybe uh, in the comments, which of the, the two systems you prefer or how you would like to see them combine to, to make, you know, maybe they could maybe the they could take system. notes from one another and figure out a better system for both parties. It, it The wildest thing to me, though, is that there's 10,000 people in Japan yeah. that want to play in these Champion Leagues tournaments and only one third of them get spots. I mean, and Insane. which is massive still. 3,000 people has to be close to the largest Pokemon tournament ever, if not the largest ever. Uh, I mean, maybe some old, old, old school tournament had way more, but... Uh, I don't think so. That's... that's yeah, that's that's wild. Yeah, and I, I want to, that probably does have to do a little bit maybe with how because they definitely have less major tournaments than we do like in North America. Um, obviously, still a very big player base. But if we had like less regionals throughout our year, I'm sure our regionals would be quite a bit bigger as well. Uh, but maybe not because we also have you know NAIC that happens, and even then, uh, NAIC doesn't even get close to that kind of attention to go to that tournament. I don't feel like we've had like one year where registration for NAIC filled up really really fast. But besides that, I feel like it's, you know, registration has been open for a little while most of the time. So, um, yeah, I feel like maybe even with that, yeah, we wouldn't even be hitting those kind of numbers even if we had less regionals throughout the year. But um, still good to see uh, in general the game growing over here, over there. But, yeah, it is crazy. 10,000 people wanting to play in a Pokemon tournament. Well, we can move on from that. Shout out to Skin to Tuan for hooking us up with a little bit of extra info. And hopefully that was useful to anyone else listening who was curious about how it worked. Um, but yeah, we'll move on from that. And now we can talk about the Warsaw Regional Championships, which took place this past weekend in Poland. This was the final regional championships of the Lost Origin format. Sword and Shield through Lost Origin. Last tournament before, uh, you know, Lugia just wrecks everyone's world <laughs> in Brazil in a couple weeks. But... Uh, yeah, some interesting results over there. We don't have like the full day two or day one meta breakdown, but we do have the top eight that we can talk about as far as the what the meta looked like there. We have two Giratina Lost Zone engines. We have two Arceus Giratinas and then a bunch of one-off decks. We've got one Curum, one Palkia, one Sableye Charizard, and one Vikavolt in top cut. Yeah, so a lot of different things coming out here. Uh, Pedro, of course, taking it all down with the Lost Box. 
Uh, and then Alex Shemansky going all the, coming all the way from America over there uh, to get just short and ended up at second place with the uh, the Giratina Lost Box. Hey, we said um, we were rooting last week for the any Americans heading yeah. over. <laughs> Alex almost able to pull it out, but no, Pedro yeah. comes out on top. Almost to take one back from America for toward winning uh, Peoria. Almost, almost. And interesting enough, the same deck that Tord used in Peoria, the yeah. Sigla Charizard deck, is what Pedro played in uh, in uh, in Warsaw. So, thoughts Azul on the winning of Lost Box, winning the first regionals in this format, kind of having middling results throughout the rest of the format. I actually don't even know if it had another top eight cut at a regional championships through the rest of the format. Uh, Maybe didn't actually. And then wins the last tournament. Yeah. I mean, I think the deck has always been really, really strong. Um, the only reason I never played it at a regional, it was definitely on my list of decks to consider playing. The reason I didn't play it was because I just thought Reggie was a little bit better. Um, but I think it is a tier one deck for sure in this format, you know, as we head out of this format into um, <clears throat> Silver Tempest. And I think it'll continue to be a tier one deck in Silver Tempest. Um, or should I say like tier A? Because we got to give Lugia tier S. Um, <laughs> you call it tier own. zero. Tier zero. <laughs> I think Lugia is uh, on its own a little bit up there. But no, I think it's super strong deck. I think it is. Um, I kind of like talked about that a couple weeks ago. It's an intimidating deck to play. A lot of people, they see it, they play a couple games with it, and they don't want to try it. They don't want to go further with it. Um, so I think it is a very intimidating deck. I don't think it's as hard to play as people think it is, um, but it is pretty intimidating to want to pick up and learn how to play when there's so many other decks that are so much easier to play than it. So I understand that. I think that is one of the reasons for its not lack of success, because obviously at the end of it all, it was fairly successful with the wins, um, but lack of overall placements is just not many people played it. It was not ever you know in like the top four most popular decks, I don't no. think. Maybe for this one, but I doubt it. Yeah, it was usually that deck that was the fifth most popular deck, and yeah. I think most of the North American tournament graphics at least... Um, but yeah, obviously insanely strong. I mean, there's just so many different plays you can make. Sableye is such a versatile card. Any type of spread deck like this that is really powerful, um, it, it takes a lot for a spread deck to be a top-tier deck, right? There's been lots of spread decks throughout the years that um, have been, like, decent, but... You know, when you start to play against really good players who can kind of manage their resources properly and, like, you know, play around, not benching too many things. Like, I'm thinking back to, like, the Tapu Coco spread days. Like, that was always a fun deck to play, but it was never top tier because people at the top level could play around it. This deck didn't really give your opponent as much room to play around things just because of how strong Sableye was once you got to those 10 cards in the Lost Zone. Yeah, exactly. And it's almost more of, like, a... It's almost not even a spread deck. So you have the early game pressure yeah, from yeah. the Cramorant. Sableye is picking off, either picking off knockouts off the bench or setting up knockouts for Charizard later or like going for like a two-hit KO with the Sableye. Um, so it's not full spread. But yeah, it is, uh, I mean, with that much versatility of options for attack, you're doing, you know, 12 damage counters wherever you want one turn and then 250 the next turn, you know, offers a ton of options and versatility to the deck um, for sure. So it, yeah, has its options. Yeah, I think the last good spread deck was probably Weezing. I love that deck. That was one of my favorites. Um, and we usually see, like, I mean, I guess in most recent times when the when the deck has more, like, little light damage with spread options, uh, you do need some kind of big closer. Just like in Weezing, you had, like, the Larvitar and the Rotom, the Frost Rotom, I think. You have the Charizard in this deck. You know, you need some big heavy hitter still because, I mean, these V-Stars got a lot of HP. So I saw this pretty interesting graphic from Trainer Hill that compared Tord's winning list from Peoria to pedro's winning list from warsaw um that showed the differences between the two lists so they had 51 of the same cards 
uh, and then nine cards different on each side. So I thought that some of those cards were really interesting that they chose to be different. And it's actually kind of funny, too, because um, I remember one of the examples here is that uh, Tord did not play Echoing Horn. Pedro did have the Echoing Horn. And I remember speaking to Tord after Peoria and him saying, there were so many times this tournament that if I just had an Echoing Horn in my deck, I would have won the game, but I didn't yeah. play Echoing Horn. And that was a change that Pedro ended up making. Yeah. So I think this is less of uh so I don't, uh, so now I'm reading the tweet uh, from Trainer Hill here and I've clicked on this. Uh, it is cool to see, but uh, they, you know, they, they end the tweet with which text do you prefer? And I think that's a bad way to look at it. It's more so look at how the deck has evolved with the shift of the meta. There's no way you would take towards list and play the exact same 60 at this tournament. And I doubt Pedro would have done as well had Pedro taken the exact same 60 that Tord played, you know, in Peoria. This is just the evolution of the deck to the point where Pedro now thinks this is as close as they got to finding what is the optimal 60 for this uh, tournament, right? So I don't think you'd take towards 60 and run it again because there's there's been new and better ways discovered to play the deck, especially once you have a better idea of what the meta looks like, right? Um, like the Echoing Horn is there for a reason, right? Um, and you need less Paths of the Peak and Magma Basin is a good option, so that makes its way in there and so on, right? Yeah, the Magma Basin and the Choice Belt, both really strong cards for the Charizard specifically, whereas on Tord's end, the most damage he could do in one attack was... 250 damage with Charizard. Pedro now has a chance to do 281 hit KO V stars or get a little closer to that V max number, which you could have set up with a Sableye previously. Um, and the Magma Basin, you know, in Tord's list, he doesn't have Magma Basin. So the earliest, you know, there's no Raihan or anything like that in this deck. The earliest that Tord could attack with Charizard was when his opponent went to two prize cards. Pedro can now attack with Charizard a whole turn earlier because he has access to the, to the Magma Basin option. Yeah, yeah, it gives you the extra. And also, like, sometimes in the early game, you just discard fire energy because you're retreating comfy. So, like, gives you, yeah. instead of having to use Clara to, like, get the fire back, you can just put a Magma Basin in play. Now you can still go, like, Charizard, and then you have two Claras and got to find one of them to, you know, make, to, to recover the Charizard. Uh, but, yeah, definitely the evolution of the deck is interesting for sure. But <clears throat> it's not like, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not like, I want to say it's, like, a difference in, like, tech cards or anything. It's just, like, sure. the evolution of the deck um, from, from Peoria to now Warsaw with Pedro. And then Alex Shemansky getting second place with Giratina. I think what has ended up becoming the most popular deck of the format, but still yep. one of the most powerful decks in the format. His list doesn't look crazy different from what we've seen. It looks really similar to Nico's list from top four of the um, Lil Regional Championships a few weekends ago, where he's got the Thornton in here, the 2-3 Giratina V-Star line. Well, one thing that was a little interesting to me is that there's just one capture energy, which is that's pretty light on the energy compared to yeah. what most lists have been that I've seen. Um, but other than that, pretty, I mean, this is pretty standard to what we've seen from um, from Giratina. I guess the Snorlax is maybe another difference in here as well that not everyone yeah. is playing. Yeah, I saw uh, Alex actually tweet, tweeted out that they had played very few games with the deck before the tournament, no practicing, like two games. Uh, and just took Nico's list <laughs> and changed and put a Drapion in there that, yeah. um, <clears throat> to, uh, you know, better combat the Muse. Uh, I poked a little bit of fun at the <laughs> Europeans for little regionals. Uh, and we saw a lot more Drapion. Whenever I tuned into the stream, I felt like every deck I saw uh, had a Drapion in it. So <laughs> no one in Europe was going to allow Mew to get uh to get another dub well they weren't uh, gonna allow you to flame the whole yeah uh, the whole region again for letting Mew. i mean i would have <laughs> i would have brought it up if uh if Mew had been able to do it again i definitely would have brought it up but yeah 
way more Drapion, I think, this time around. I'm pretty sure all the Tinos were packing it, and I saw some of the uh palkias brought it um as well so um but yeah yeah so basically just taking nico's list is what i believe i saw alex tweet saying changed a uh a couple cards um called it a day and ended up getting second place and yeah tina maybe the best overall deck at the end of the day in the format right i feel like you know you got a ton of different attacking options and giratina is so powerful uh by itself that that covers most of your bases right and it's just good deck yeah, so as we do put a little bit of a bookend on this format, I mean, it definitely has ended up being one of the more diverse formats yeah. of the whole Sword and Shield block, I feel like, so far, where we've just got so many different decks. I mean, look at this top cut. We've got six different decks out of our top eight at a you know 700-person tournament. Doesn't yeah. really happen all that often. Yeah, no Mew. This, no, so no Mew at all in top eight. And I think Arctina was... I feel like I, this is a deck I never gave the time of day, to be honest, was Arctina. Because I always felt like its its Lost Zone Tina matchup was unfavorable, which is like, why would you take a unfavorable matchup to the most popular deck in the room? But two of them in top eight, I feel like it was slowly starting to build up steam. Um, and now this is like, before it actually gets a chance to like peak and maybe contend for a championship win, it's about to get stomped by Lugia. So it's never going to have its time. Uh, and the most interesting deck in top eight, of course, has to be that Palkia... Uh, uh the palkia vika ball right um i can't pronounce i have no idea how to pronounce Al alexander alexander did i get yeah. that right yeah, yeah um was running the a palkia vika vault deck um which is you know vika vault has been a card that is like it's item locks item lock is very powerful but it's always been kind of up and down there's never been like a, a you know a top deck that everyone kind of respects as far as a vika vault build goes We've seen some gimmicky builds in the past with like Maltrace V. This one specifically is kind of like Turbo Palkia plus Vika Vault, which is interesting. Um, and they, they got top eight with it. Uh, it's a very cool deck. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure too much to think of it. Definitely the most interesting deck in top eight, but I, I don't really have, I don't know what really to think of it when I look at it, to be honest. Yeah, very cool one for sure. I always love to see unique stuff like this. Also, the Mew from Celebrations is such a, a cool card that I think has never really had a huge time. Like this engine, I guess. Like we've seen people do really well with like a one of Mew in their deck as an anti yeah. in their Intellion decks as like a anti Roxanne answer, anti Marnie. Um, but I think like using the Mew engine, similar to the old Jirachi from Team Up engine, where you're switching between a bunch of them over and over again, using a bunch of Mysterious Tales in a turn has always been really cool to me. But it's just like you got to have good enough stuff to to draw through. I mean, I guess that Turbo Palkia deck from when Turbo Palkia. Yeah, that was that's pro probably the one other time we really Dialga. seen it do well. Yeah, true. But Dialga never really like did anything. Sure, <laughs> it sure. did. It did play for Mew. And uh, but that's about it. <laughs> So very cool. Always love seeing someone do well with something unique, and Alexander was definitely able to do that. So shoutouts to them for that. But yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah. All right, let, let's before we close it off here. Um, underrated deck of the format and overrated deck of the format, in your mind. Um, geez, that's a tough one. Overrated, definitely Kiram for me. Um, <laughs> never been a big fan of the deck. Once it got third here in Warsaw at the end, and it showed up in most top eights throughout the throughout the 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 regional cycle here in this format uh, a lot of top eights never got a dub uh oh it did get another actually i take that back it did get a dub over in uh where was it in in, in, in indonesia. indonesia right mm -hmm. so yeah it did actually get a dub in the end um showed up a lot i know most of the top eights i think in my opinion kiram's the overrated underrated um i kind of want to give it to palkia 
but I think Palkia earned his respect back as this format kind of developed for it's so sure. Funny so funny to I don't know hear if I can... Palkia be a consideration for. <laughs> oh no 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 no! Hang on, I'm taking a look deck. at like <laughs> I'm taking a look at like the meta decks right now. It's got to be Reggie. I think Reggie is still. It, I think it. I, we didn't see any results from it in Europe. The last two, or even in Malaysia or the Indonesia, uh, there was quite a bit of it at Warsaw. But none of them in top eight. None of them in top eight at Lil, despite it being the first seed going into day two. Um, so I'm, I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna think. I think Reggie is still. I'm gonna give it the underrated deck of this format, and overrated is definitely Kiram. Yeah, I'm less of a, a Kiram hater than you. I think. I think it's. Very, <laughs> I think everyone is. Yeah, maybe so. But it, I mean, I, I do think Kiram like is just inherently pretty powerful. It does feel in a format with giratina that can just do the 280 so easily and like feels pretty streamlined it feels almost like too fair of a pokemon deck where it's like you're not drawing a ton of cards every turn like you are with some of these other decks you're not seeing everything with intellion or um you know comfy chorus experiment to see seven plus cards every single turn um, you know, you're playing an Irida to get one thing out, or you're playing a Melanie to just draw three cards. Um, what you're doing is inherently still really powerful, you know, the ability to accelerate the energy and stuff like that, but it's feels just much more, it's a slower paced deck than pretty much everything else in the format. It feels like, um, which Definitely. is weird because it puts on more pressure, I think almost than <laughs> a lot of the decks in the format, especially whenever you like go second and get off that rapid freeze and can get a bunch of energy in play, but regardless yeah. uh, i feel like it's i feel like it gets isolated really fast like once your first attacker goes down or you burn a lot of energy out of play sure. it's like okay there's opportunities for like every deck to kind of make a comeback against it in those yeah. kind of situations but it can definitely yeah. run out of gas for sure but i think yeah. for me um overrated deck of the format has got to be the arceus gudra um which maybe it's adequately rated i guess i should say i still maybe feel like it's got there, its yeah. its its heavy defenders um, it obviously did win a regional championships, but I still just got to feel like, you know, you know, Hale's a great player who won the regionals with it. Uh, so he obviously made probably very few mistakes throughout the course of the tournament. And then he just made it into day two and hit a Reggie bracket where it was just like <laughs> he was able to just make it through. So I almost like I mean, I'm not going to call it a fluke because it's definitely not a fluke. Hale very much deserved his win and he very much believed in the deck, which I think is great. But it's just I I don't know that if we run the tournament back if if Gudra is going to come out on top once again, um, and it then might be a little bit tougher to make it through again. I think an underrated deck for me is going to be that Hisuian Zork, a deck we talked about a lot. I do think it is still really really strong, um, and it did get first place at the Malaysia uh, Regional League tournament. So that player went ten and zero with the deck. Um, so yeah, I think Zork is a deck that. Uh, and, and every single time we see a list pop up that does well with it, it looks different from the last list. I feel like, yeah. you know, it's there's never been where as opposed to Giratina, it feels like the there's a set 55 cards that pretty much everyone plays and like people make a couple changes here and there. Whereas with Zork, I feel like it's more like, you know, 45 to 50 cards and then we'll see a bunch of variations and different ways that people try to play the deck. So uh, I don't know that Zorak ever got fully optimized to its full potential in this format, but maybe in this next format into Lugia, it can one hit KO a Lugia. So we'll see what happens there. Mm. Maybe, uh, maybe Zorak could have a chance to shine still at some point yeah, it's, in uh, uh, the Silver Tempest format. It's possible. Actually, uh, <laughs> uh, Finnegan Lynch just came out with an article preaching Rotom Phone in Zorark over Trekking Shoes, which I've been a big Trekking 
big trekking shoes stand. Uh, but I did like some of the reasons behind the Rotom Phone, so I might uh, try that. I might, that might be the missing piece. I have yet to see anyone playing Rotom Phone in Zorark, so maybe maybe Finn's just been holding out on everyone and just had the had the secret sauce this whole time, and now is finally <laughs> letting everyone know this is how you could have been winning all these regionals in the Lost Origin format with Zorark, but uh, instead y'all were were shooting around. So we will say goodbye for now to the Lost Origin format, and we will say hello to everyone's favorite segment of the podcast. <laughs> Guess that flavor text. I think we need some game show tunes or something going on. You know, uh, guess that flavor text for those who don't know every single week, Azul or I will pick a card, read the flavor text off it. The fun little bit of text in the bottom right hand corner and have the other host try to guess which Pokemon we are reading off the card. We do keep track of points here. We are currently tied at four to four. And uh, if you do get the flavor text right, you get four points, but there is a chance to use some lifelines. Every time you use a lifeline, you lose a potential point you could earn. So you could earn anywhere from one to four points in a given week. And those three lifelines are what set the card is from, what stage the card is, and read an attack name. Like I said, we are tied at four to four. Azul gave me a tough one last week. I was unable to get it. I did see some YouTube comments, though, that some people were able to, to come to the correct conclusion. But I've got one picked out for Azul this week. We'll see if he can get it. Azul, are you ready, my friend? I'm ready, Chip. Hit me with it. Let's do it. It stands in grasslands, watching the sun's descent from zenith to horizon. This Pokemon has a talent for delivering dynamic kicks. Oh my gosh, there's so many Pokemon. Well, hold on. Oh, okay, hold up. <clears throat> I think... Well, that sounds very zen and yoga-like. Metacham is very zen and yoga-like. I could go for the slam dunk here and lock in Metacham. There's a bunch of other Pokemon that involve kicking. Um, like, you know, Hitmonlee, Hitmonchan, but none of them are very Zen or yoga-like. Go ahead, read it to me one more time. It stands in grasslands, watching the sun's descent from zenith to horizon. This Pokemon has a talent for delivering dynamic kicks. Oh, it still sounds a ton like Metacham, but I guess we could go through a couple lifelines to confirm. All right, what uh, stage is the card? It is a basic. Is Metacham a basic? I actually don't remember. <clears throat> no, because they evolved from Metatite, right? Metatite, Metacham. That is correct. So it could be Metatite then. Dynamic Kicks. I mean, it's still... Uh kick pokemon i think uh the other two are what's set and read an attack name so let's go with an attack name then lost shot <laughs> now i have no clue but metatite is psychic type sometimes i believe so we're gonna because the set guessing knowing the set probably won't tell me anything and i won't be able to utilize that information at all so i'm gonna lock in metatite that is incorrect, Azul. Oh. Did not get it right this week. And in case anyone is playing along at home, I will read the last lifeline. What set the card is from? It is from Lost Origin, which you probably could have gotten as well by the name of the attack Lost Shot. 
the effect of lost shots. And I actually would have, I would have known that med- it wasn't meditate. I think if you had, if I knew that, there's no meditate. Should have used your lifeline. Should have used your lifeline. Uh, all right, the effect. The effect of that lost shot attack. Maybe we should add that as a lifeline in there somewhere. Put the, uh, or if you read an attack name, you have to read the effect too. Put the card. Uh, sorry, put the top card of your opponent's deck in the lost zone. Who is it? it I is, know. I. It is Stone Jorner. <laughs> okay, I would have never gotten to Stone Jorner. <laughs> it does have a different attack know. name that I think would have put you a little closer to it. Its other attack is Power Stone. That might have got me closer to a Stone Jorner, yeah. I, I I can picture the Stone Jorner you're talking about. I remember reading it when I initially like looked through Lost Origin. I, I would have never got there. I was like, you said kick. I was, I guess Stone Jordan does kick. I Apparently, think about like all the artwork. I didn't know that, but you know, there he yeah. is. <laughs> think about all the, the Stone Jordan artworks. They're, they, does, they, you know, it's, it's like two legs, and they are kicking a lot of the time, actually. So, yeah, okay, yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> he, he do be kicking. And he definitely, right. you know, being the Stonehenge Pokemon or whatever, gets to stand and watch plenty of sunrises that and is... sunsets, right? That make that also makes sense. That also makes. I thought I had it. I thought I was there, and then I was like, "All right, it's a basic, so maybe Metatite." I was really oh, hoping you were gonna lock in the four point Metacham guess and be <laughs> so wrong. <laughs> uh, but I would never would have got to Sunshine even if I knew this set. I don't think for sure. All right, what? Let's pay back for Spoopa. <laughs> new or set coming out. Whatever. <laughs> Our new set has come out. Silver Tempest, and I've had quite a bit. I've played quite a bit with uh, the set in general. Uh, Chip, probably a little bit less so, a little bit busy with Junior. Um, but uh, I guess the big, the first big thing is like Lugia. Uh, what are your first impressions of Lugia, Chip? Do you think it's uh, lived up to the hype so far? Yeah, I have played a bit. I have not played as much as I... I will play a good bit more this week for sure. But what I did play, I played some Lugia. And it's definitely strong. And I think that what I've kind of gathered from Lugia, both playing it and watching people play it is one of the you know big strengths of of lugia is not the um you know obviously it is a solid attacker but it is the fact that you can just power up so many other potential things with archaeops right so uh, i think that that's really where it derives a lot of its strength from being able to power up amazing rare evil tall out of nowhere very strong radiant charizard early on very strong even something like amazing raikou i have seen from some people is a very good option as well Lots of cool stuff going on with Lugia. And, you know, if all else fails, you can just start smacking them for 200 and, you know, 290 damage with Lugia's attack with a couple <laughs> modifiers in there. 200 and enough to KO most of the time. <laughs> yeah, damage. 200 and enough. Yeah. 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 Definitely. It's been, uh, I, I actually, I don't think it's as broken as i expected it to be which is good i do think it is probably the best overall deck in the format it doesn't have many weaknesses uh and it's very hard to exploit its weaknesses even its actual weakness to lightning can be taken care of by playing dunsparce so the deck doesn't have many weaknesses um and i think it is yeah i think it's overall probably the best deck in the format but i don't think it's by a mile like we kind of saw with palkia and mew and um, I guess those are the main two recently. Arceus never really had that moment where it kind of dominated the formats ahead of those two, uh, but it definitely did shape the format around it a little bit. Because you weren't beating Mew, and you weren't if you weren't if you were able to beat Mew but couldn't beat Arceus, uh, you still couldn't play your deck. So, but it, I don't think it really brings that level of power to the format, which I'm really thankful for. I'm really glad that that it ended up being a little bit more tame and uh, reasonable. Yeah, we'll see. Definitely it, a that. 
a bit more what the general player base is doing when more and more like pretty much through the results of online events this coming week right well now that people have had a bit more of a chance to get their hands on some of the cards they've tested it uh we've seen a lugia do okay in some online events so far really looking forward to seeing what the results look like from the late night tournament this week though because those usually have close to 300 people playing in them so that'll give some sort of an indication as to maybe what some of the top level online players are looking at so we'll see what kind of comes out of that um now i haven't been playing quite as much but i've been watching plenty of people play i've actually been watching your stream a decent bit azul when i've been able to tune in uh, and I've seen you playing a lot of different stuff. I've seen some Chestnut V, <laughs> some Hisuian Arcanine V. Uh, so I guess a question, <laughs> uh, a question I would uh, I would ask for you is, what is a card that has surprised you the most so far in Silver Tempest? Um, it's hard to say. There's not really that much to come out of Silver Tempest, to be honest. We got some, I think the the thing that like, will change up the most decks will probably be Serena, kind of how you build decks and play decks. Um, and it does offer like uh, some enhanced consistency to stuff like Mew and stuff for sure. Um, so I don't want to say Serena really. Maybe Radiant Jirachi overall has surprised me a little bit more as less of just like its own gimmick deck and more so as you can kind of put that in anything that plays double turbo or twin energy. So mostly single prize decks. And if you just like swing with it turn one, even if you get double tails or like one tails, whatever, you don't get the knockout with it. Uh, is your opponent really want to leave it there to attack again and you want to really gust around it? Or do you knock it out and give your opponent any three cards out of their deck? So to be honest, that has kind of surprised me as being more of uh, uh, not fully an engine in itself, but kind of some initial, uh, you know, consistency and draw power that you can play in in a lot of cool ways besides its own kind of gimmick deck. So yeah, I was really surprised by uh, how versatile, I guess, the card is overall. Yeah, big fan of the, uh, the Radiant Jirachi, I guess, in that way. It's not going to be played in a ton of decks still, but I think that surprised me the most as being something that a little bit better than I thought it was going to be. But besides that, to be honest, we didn't get a whole ton. The Drago and the Lecky, I think, are a little bit underwhelming. Drago specifically, the Reggie Drago, just... Yeah, I was never hype on the, the Reggie Drago, yeah, it, honestly. Like, I, I didn't think it was going to get there, and I just don't think it does. And then for the the Reggie Lecky, I think it's solid with Vigal Vault, but I don't think it's quite there. Like, it's not a meta deck. Yeah, I think that there's still a chance. I mean... Yeah, Vikavolt, we talked about it earlier in the cast. Just item walk is so strong, and now being able to two-hit KO stuff, theoretically, if you get enough Regieleckis in play, maybe if someone can find a really good, consistent list um, to work with it, or maybe with a card coming out in the future, which we'll talk about here shortly, that Radiant Eternatus. Uh, spoiler <laughs> alert for later in the cast. Um, you know, maybe we could see something there be decent, but... Yeah, I think that this feels like the Lugia set, and we get a couple cool trainers, right? And that's pretty much about it. Everything else, all of the other ultra rares feel pretty meh, feel pretty mid. The uh, Forest Seal Stone is obviously insanely good. Um, Serena's Mew. insanely good, right? Uh, Mew definitely gets a big bump with this set, and I guess that's something to talk about is what old decks get some new life breathed into them in this set and it's definitely mew is the best one right just through the force yeah, stone so. and i even saw you as well you were playing a little mew on your stream and you even had um that new supporter card in there the worker right so that oh. draw three discard <laughs> a stadium you know 
I didn't that even wasn't realize. I, I, I mean, yeah, it's not great, but I, I had even. <laughs> it's like they just keep giving little things to Mew here and there, little options to it. Um, but what I'm yeah. a little worried about with the meta moving into Brazil is we have seen with the way that Mew decks have been built currently is that if you have a way to one hit KO one Mew V Max and a Drapion, you're going to have a solid Mew matchup, right? Because nobody's playing yep. Meloetta. But that is going to entirely change if we go into Fusion Strike Mew with the Meloetta, if we go back to Pokemon Catchers and stuff like that, because Drapion is nowhere near as strong into that version of it. It's still good, don't get me wrong, but it's nowhere near as strong as uh, into the just straight Mew VMAX version of the deck, because Meloetta can take two prizes, and then, okay, you knock out the Meloetta. Then Mew VMAX takes two prizes, you Drapion the VMAX. Oh, all of a sudden, I only need two prizes to win the game. Yeah, I think it's uh it's it's weird because the Meloetta builds I feel like are better against Lugia than the DTE build. Um your Palkia matchup might be about the same. Uh I think you are probably a little bit better as the DTE build, but also your your loss zone matchups I think are way worse with the Meloetta build. Um because you know the Cram just takes care of the Meloetta and then you have less disruption cards on your end as the Mew. You don't play I mean you can still play the Marnies and the Roxanne in the path, but then like what are you how how often are you sacrificing the turn one Meloetta attack for those things, right? And then at that point, are you even playing catchers? Um, or are you going with cross switchers? So even then trying to get off like a turn one metal attack with double cross switchers, that's like another hurdle to kind of get through, you know, to pull off that turn one KO on like a two prize Pokemon. So um it's weird. Yeah, it's weird. I think like the double turbo build, <clears throat> basically you can't play it because I feel like the it almost feels like you can't play it because the Lugia matchup feels unfavorable. Uh, and that's not even with Lugia's putting in their own Drapion. Right now, Lugia's don't play Drapion for pretty good reason because you don't actually have that many good starters in the deck. So if you play Drapion, you're going to open like Drapion, Crobat, or Luminion a lot of the time. <laughs> so you don't really want to play any more bad starters in the Lugia deck, to be honest. But if they do go the route of Drapion then it's going to be that much worse for Mew. And the, the Meloetta Mew, I feel like, is, yeah, better of the two up against Lugia, but then you come up a little bit worse against the Lost Zone deck. So Mew's in a little bit of a weird spot. Still feels like it's probably a Tier 1 deck, um, but needs to be figured out kind of its identity of, like, the best way to play it for sure. So of the... Uh, so if we're looking at, like, Lugia really kind of being the only big new deck, we talked about Mew a little bit. What about the other top-tier decks from this last format? So I'm thinking of the Giratina the Kyurums, or, or maybe I should say most played, the Giratinas, the Kyurums, and the Palkia decks. Those three decks, what did they gain, if anything, from Silver Tempest? I mean, Serena, I think, obviously goes into most of these in some capacity, yeah. but other than that, is there much? Yeah, I don't. we didn't really get that much from this set. Like, we got one big card, and then, like, not even, like, support for other stuff besides, like, Serena, right? But it's not even, like, support. It's just, like everyone adjusts because it is such a powerful card you just adjust your supporter lineup right um so it's like when we got research back or we got marnie or whatever like you had to like you just adjusted your supporter lineup around those cards you didn't actually add it to kind of your your overall deck strategy i don't know it's kind of hard to explain the way i think about i'm thinking about it but like yeah you didn't like nothing really changed we got one big deck and that's kind of it which is kind of unfortunate like right not too much actually changed up with this set because i don't think serena like drastically changes anyway decks are built some decks get nerfed because it exists some decks get slightly buffed like reggie i think got a decent buff because it exists now because your gust effect is also a draw supporter um so it makes it so much better for reggie to run gust effects to begin with um so some decks got a little buff some decks got a little nerf because it exists but that's about it and then we just got lugia which is now another deck for you to worry about but that's it just one deck 
Um, I think stuff like um, the the Tinas and the Palkias, you probably have to run Temple of Sidon now, right, to be able to deal with the guard, the V guard energy yeah. on Lugia. Uh, and I, from what I've seen, so like <laughs> like I mentioned, not a huge fan of Kieran Vmax, and from what I've seen, definitely are less people playing it. And maybe it just doesn't stack up well into Lugia. And also Reggie has gotten way more popular in these online tournaments because Gift Energy is finally not bugged. And Kiram is a really good matchup for Reggie. So people are actually finally playing Reggie in these online tournaments. So I was actually thinking you were talking about Kiram there for a second. And I was actually kind of thinking um, is I wonder if there is a way with this new set that you could build Kiram without palkia or at least with a thinner palkia where you're not as reliant on palkia's v-star power and then you could utilize the forest seal stone to more consistently set up and also give yourself a potential late game out to the path to the peak um you know you do still theoretically if you play four melanies and you've got the double guru right you can get enough acceleration to get kiram powered up to where you're one hit KOing opposing pokemon and if you add in the potential of using the forest seal stone does that help you set up more efficiently through getting your energy acceleration through melanie or something like that versus using your palkia v star power now i think palkia is probably just too powerful of a pokemon to not include because it is yeah. also a very good attacker in that deck but it, you know something i've wondered and also honestly the earth and seal stone doesn't seem terrible in curum either um in the right scenario but i don't know that seems much less likely to be worth playing you know putting everything down to low hp where you can pretty easily knock it out with kiram i guess everything kiram can kind of one hit ko most things it's just about how many energies you have to discard i guess but i don't know just all kind of thoughts i have had um different ways you could experiment with it potentially i don't know yeah i mean hopefully there is some uh some viability there with that I and mean, that's the, the first kind of kiram deck i built was just straight uh just straight kiram oh, only yeah. kiram no palkia yeah. uh you don't fully lose access to the ability to utilize Greninja, but it definitely gets a lot harder to utilize Greninja when you don't have Palkia, for, especially for like an aggressive turn two Greninja, which is like, it's not even so much that doing it uh, is like you being able to do it. Like you, you're not gonna be able to do it all the time, but having the, the threat of it existing, it puts a lot of pressure on your opponent to play differently. Um, you know, go get their Manaphy, leave less Pokemon on their bench for you to take advantage of with. Uh, and if they don't play around it, that's when they get punished. You can get really far ahead. Uh, when they do play around it, they're not getting punished, but they have to manage their resources in a less aggressive way usually, which, you know, is once again, could get you ahead. So I think the biggest thing would maybe be losing access to the aggressive uh, Greninja routes you could take with the deck if you do uh, uh, don't have access to Palkias consistently. Not that you wouldn't be able to do it at all. Um, or that you always do it, but having the option of it is definitely a pretty big deal. Forcing your opponent to constantly play around that is definitely a big deal, which is something um, like when I played Ice Rider Palkia at Worlds, the amount of times that I <laughs> Greninja'd was a lot. I Greninja'd a lot at that tournament. Um, and a lot of people got, kind of got caught off guard by it because they like weren't thinking, they weren't prioritizing me using Greninja. They were like, oh my gosh, there's an Ice Rider on their field. I got to deal with this thing. Yeah. And then they forgot to get their mana fee. And then I was like, all right, Greninja. And then I took out two of their Sobble and stuff <laughs> like that. So <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I feel so, like the threat of it, you need to have it around. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, threatening Greninja, super strong. I mean, especially when, like you said, your opponent maybe doesn't always uh, always think about it. Um, yeah, <laughs> sometimes they're not going to remember. So is there anything, I can't remember, if, I might have asked you this, or we might have talked about this on last week's episode, but is there anything old um, that gets new life breathed into it with this set, either through new cards or through the meta changing well, in a way that favors <laughs> it? So, And the results from Japan kind of the two decks that i've seen pop up at some of these city league tournaments on some of these pie charts on you know the graphs on twitter has been 
uh, Duraludon and Eternatus. Those are kind of the two decks that have had some sort of meta share in Japan, it seems like, uh, as ways to deal with how dominant Lugia is. Um, so I don't think Duraludon does it. Uh, after doing very little testing in the matchup, Duraludon still is Very little a, testing. <laughs> very, after doing very little testing, I've come to the conclusion that Duraludon is still a pile <laughs> and should not be played. Um, and its Lugia matchup is not that good. Uh, and then for Eternatus, it's the the deck just isn't good enough to compete with the rest of the field. Like you can, you maybe have a good Lukia matchup. I don't actually even know if you do, to be honest. Um, that was yeah, that was a deck that we noticed. We both noticed that popped up on those those uh, meta breakdowns of some of the early Japan tournaments. Eternatus was there. I was like, what? Why is this here? Um, but I think it was just there because there was probably some players who enjoyed playing Eternatus and showed up with Eternatus. That's kind of why it was probably. Uh, it does get more use so than of it. the forest seal stone right i think that's another big thing i yeah you'd have a lot of crowbats on play that you can just like put yeah. that in play so that might be enough of a boost but i kind of doubt that is yeah. going to be a big enough difference maker um so yeah as far as old stuff coming back i, I think uzoro box which we talked about a lot last week uh <laughs> is the the main thing that gets the i think that might get the biggest boost as far as decks that i can kind of think about i think there's room i think arceus decks are hurting a lot right now and people are trying to figure out how can we you know deal with lugia consistently so i think arceus decks are hurting a lot right now and trying to figure out where where they stand what are the best ways to play arceus so i think that'll be still discovered i think there will probably be a tier two at least arceus deck in the format um i don't know what it is yet not going to be arceus intelion that deck sucks so it's going to be something like an arceus tina maybe or even i'm thinking like some kind of tank arceus with v guard energy sounds kind of cool you know you play four v guard energy maybe a couple Radiant less double turbo uh, yeah, with Radiant Guard for you're doing you're taking minus 50, so you effectively have 330 HP. Uh, and you get big charms in there or parasols or whatever you want. Something like that could be cool. So I think there's room for a, an Arceus deck for sure. We just gotta wait and see what it is. But I don't think there's anything else besides that really making a comeback that I can think of. Yeah, it's hard to ever count Arceus out with just you know the fact that its attack requires three colorless energy, so you can do pretty much anything with it. But yep, <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, those are our early thoughts on Silver Tempest. Next week, we'll definitely have more in-depth thoughts once there's been a little bit of a meta developed from the online tournament scene. And next week, we'll be doing our meta breakdown and meta predictions, I guess I should say, for the upcoming Sao Paulo International Championships, which uh, definitely looking forward to seeing what's going to happen there. And yep, yep. we'll move on to a couple of new cards that just got revealed at the end of last week. These are cards that are going to be in... The V-Star Universe set in Japan, which will be part of our Crown Zenith set coming out in January. Yeah, so I'm way more excited for just these couple cards that we've seen so far. And also, we know a couple other ones that are coming out. So it's going to be these cards. We already know about uh, Zacian, Zamazenta, V-Star. We'll finally get those. Uh, Rotom V-Star yeah. will probably be in there as well. Uh, and then we're also supposed to get a charge bug, a radiant charge bug. So another radiant coming out as well. So I'm already way more excited for this set than I ever was for uh, <laughs> than I ever was for Silver Tempest. Silver Tempest uh, looks bad. It's felt pretty as far as set releases go. I'm just gonna say it's felt bad. I'm still enjoying playing the game, and the new cards are always refreshing. But overall, it's like a set release, a major set release. It's felt pretty bad in comparison. It's less especially it's when you're just kind of exciting. Kinda... I think is maybe yeah. the best way to say it. it's like it's just le there's less there's one i think most people recognize there's one really good deck you know and it's yeah, like i would have much rather like three tier two decks come out than one tier s deck for sure that would have been so much so so much more of an enjoyable experience with a new set release for sure um but yeah getting into these new cards coming out like 
like Chip said, from V-Star Universe. The first one up is the uh, Rigigigas V-Star. We're not going to go over all of them, but just the ones that uh, will probably have some impact on play. And I'm actually pretty excited for this one. Uh, so the V has a uh, hammer in for two colorless energy, 50 damage, 240 HP uh, as well, which is a lot of HP on a V. Uh, but wait until you hear about the V-Star. And then for triple colorless <laughs> energy, Raging Blow, 100 damage plus 10 more damage for each damage counter on this Pokemon. This Pokemon is now confused for retreat cost, weak to fighting. And then the V-Star... 300 HP, which is definitely the most on a V-Star, right? That's not even close. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Huge. Uh, colorless, colorless, colorless. Uh, Giga Impact, 230. This Pokemon can't attack during your next turn. And then a really interesting V-Star power. It's got the ability Star Guardian. You can use this ability once in your turn. If your opponent has one prize card remaining, discard one of your opponent's bench Pokemon and all cards attached to it. So I think that is a ridiculously strong ability if you can force your opponent to that single prize card remaining and the attack 230 get a choice bell in there you're doing 260 maybe a powerful energy 280 right it definitely seems like you're hitting hard uh, and then also another thing that i thought of was you could put memory capsule on this thing too and then use the raging blow from the previous evolution of the, the rigigigas v but what do you think about uh what do you think about reggie chip yeah i think it seems really cool i think that the best way to play it will be something similar with the memory capsule like you were just mentioning just because 300 is a lot, and obviously, <laughs> you know, colorless Pokemon have the fallback of Dunsparce, right? Even though this thing is weak to fighting, I guess fighting Pokemon aren't the strongest right now anyway, but fighting is pretty much always one of the worst weaknesses to have in the Pokemon TCG, yep. um, especially now because there's, like, easy counters that could be included into the meta, like Galarian Zapdos or something like that could pretty easily be played. Splash well, we do still have Dunsparce. <laughs> But we still got Dunsparce, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we still got Dunsparce. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So I hate Dunsparce. <laughs> um, I hate Dunsparce so much. But, uh, yeah, I think that this seems cool. Unless, I mean, I think that the, the V-Star power is good, but I don't think, I, I don't think I'm quite as hype on it as you are, um, just because, like, I think that it has to be a very specific scenario that your opponent is at one prize card, and you are needing to come back into the game in order for this to be useful, right? Because, like, the obvious combo is, like, there you can get their really strong built-up Pokemon to the bench somehow, cross-switcher, escape rope, whatever, discard it, and then Roxanne them. That's, like, the best way yeah. to try to come back into the game, which is really strong, but it's, like, that has to happen. In order for this to be, like, your V-Star power of choice, that has to happen enough in games to where you're finding yourself at, like, you know, four-to-one prize cards or three-to-one prize cards. And you also have to force that odd prize game somewhere in there, and your opponent isn't able to find a boss or Serena to get around this the seven prize game. All right, hear me out, Chip. Electrode, the one that KOs itself. Okay, sure. You can force it that way, but doesn't that only attach to lightning Pokemon? So it's like No, I think it just gets two lightning energy and attaches them to your Pokemon. Okay. So a little bit of an ex energy acceleration there. Oh no, it is to your lightning Pokemon. That's what I thought. <laughs> but still, you could knock yourself out with Electrode. It still does it. Um and then, I mean, what I'm thinking here is like, you don't, like, if you're K, like, you're doing 230 damage, you can get that up. Like I said, choice belt, powerful energy, V guard energy on this thing is also makes it a beast. Like, you get that HP, you get guard, radiant guard war involved as well. You're taking minus 50 on something that has 300 HP. Um, but yeah, if you just get to the point to the end game where you have one prize card or they have one prize card left and you knock out their active and then discard their bench attacker, who has three attackers set up at the end of a game? Right, like that just sounds. Palkia only plays three attackers. They're done. They're cooked. If you knock out, you knock out one of them to begin with. You knock out the second one. Discard the third. They can't do anything anymore. I mean, I do think it is good, but I mean, honestly, to me, like 
Reggie Gigas just seems solid on Reggie its Gigas own. Reggie Gigas control. That's what it's Reggie it Gigas control It just seems now. solid on its own. And to me, I would almost rather play this as an attacker with memory capsule and then like some Crobats, Luminion, and Forest Seal Stone <laughs> is kind of how I feel about it. Uh, just to set up and do as much damage as possible as quickly as possible. That seem, That to me seems like the better way to play this deck. Yeah, it could be. I could see it. There's a couple different ways you could play. Maybe you could like an Italian Melanie engine with this could, could be yeah. pretty cool as well. I mean, it doesn't have Starbirth though, so who knows? You yeah, get, you might be you right. Get baby Starbirth, Forest Steelstone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about all that. <clears throat> all right, up next, and uh, I think this one's going to be a game changer. I think it's going to be a lot of cool decks that come out of this one. Uh, the Radiant Eternatus, one seventy HP. So this is the tankiest uh, Radiant Pokemon I think we've seen so far. So one seventy HP. It's got the attack uh, power beam for 200 for a fire dark colors. I actually hadn't even read its attack up to this point. You're probably never using that. But one thing you will be using is the climax gate ability. Once on your turn, when you play this card from your hand onto your bench, you may search your deck for up to two Pokemon VMAX and put them onto your bench and shuffle your deck. Your turn ends. So your turn does end, but you're probably using this on turn one. What two VMAX Pokemon are you going to be getting out of your deck turn one with uh, Radiant Eternatus? There's just so, so many different options. Yeah, this card is super cool. And one of the things I think that is really neat about this is that at the end of the Sword and Shield block, where we have seen the last few sets be very heavily focused on the V-Stars. We haven't had that much love to the V-Maxes. There's been a couple good ones, right? Obviously, Kieran V-Max has proven to be pretty decent. Um, but other than that, you know, it's been all about the V-Stars. This is going to breathe new life into some potential old cards, which I'm definitely excited about. One of the uh, ones I thought about early on was Shadow Rider. And shout-outs to my brother as well, because I told him about this card. I talked about my brother a couple weeks ago on the podcast. You know, he's starting to play the game. He actually bought the Shadow Rider League Battle deck. So when we've been playing, he's been playing his Shadow Rider deck, trying to make improvements on it, make it a little bit better. And when I read him this card... Of course, like that's the deck he's been playing. He immediately was like, that would be pretty good in my Shadow Rider deck. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I... You're right. That it would be pretty yeah. good in Shadow Rider. <laughs> that Shadow Rider is the first one I kind of jumped to. I was like, okay, if you you don't even have to make it a Shadow Rider deck, you could just play some Psychic Attackers with Shadow Rider at that point, right? You don't need to play 16 basic energy and a 4-4 Shadow Rider. You can just run three Shadow Rider VMAX, turn one, a turn to two of them into play, and then those become your energy acceleration plus draw engine for whatever else you're playing with it um so i think it gives a ton of cool options deoxys vmax i think is another cool yeah. one for some kind of like tanky build um espion uh, vmax as well to stop effects of attacks There's another option like for that it. um so yeah i think overall really you could do something weird with eternatus vmax but you would have to net the Etern the radiant eternatus out of play afterwards but that could still be cool you could still still do something weird there with some dark pokemon so that could be interesting as well but tons of options i'm super like this one card alone uh i keep kind of hating on silver tempest but this one card alone <laughs> like trumps i feel like this card trumps silver tempest like this card in itself is going to add more creativity and value to a format in terms of having a healthy format than all of silver tempest did combined yeah or or beetle v max is another one that i think you could do some really cool yep. stuff with that's a card i know you've played plenty of in the past especially Big fan whenever it was uh you know a little bit stronger in the meta so yeah i think this is really cool um and i mean honestly even like getting two curum v max down right like yeah you know, that's even pretty cool it's <laughs> not bad at all and also like you can use this two turns in a row right it is like and it, no, no, no. oh i guess you could yeah. yeah you go scoop up net and use it again yeah i didn't think 
you get four v maxes in play it's even more ridiculous than i thought <laughs> the things you could do with this thing are insane yeah, yeah i didn't even think about that you could i was like no you can't it's a radiant pokemon but yeah you just scoop up netting you put it back down again you do it again yeah those decks will probably be a little bit more mimi a little bit less competitive but i think the the first time use uh building a deck around that is is it seems decent I, I mean i guess maybe you could make it work i don't know i mean yeah you put uh friggin deancy in the active spot <laughs> oh my god chip is breaking the meta before our eyes ladies and gentlemen for orbital turn two that's insane the orbital is back let's get it i'm even more excited for this card now yeah this this that this card trumps all of Silver Tempest. Actually, you know, one of the reasons probably Silver Tempest, I'm dragging on it again, feels so bad is because we just came from Lost Origin, which insane set. I don't insane set. Yeah. yeah. Insane set for adding uh just new ways to play the game, creativity, versatility. Uh, and even if, and I do agree with this, the meta was not the best competitively. It just made the game so much more enjoyable to play. Uh, and then Silver Tempest comes out and it's like, here's Lugia, that's it. And it's like that I wish wish I would wish we just like I said, like give us three tier two decks. And just don't even give us Lugia to begin with. I think I would have been more content with that. Because I don't think Lugia adds a whole ton as far as just health of the meta goes. I think it only hurts it uh, more so than anything. We're just kind of seeing a repeat cycle of the Mew Maxes and the Palkia V-Stars with now the Lugia V-Star. So um, we've seen it before. New broken card comes out. Really, really good. Yeah, okay. But yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Lost Origin brought so much life to the format. Um, so Silver Tempest feels kind of bad. Uh, but Radiant Turtus is not too far away. <laughs> We're just got to hold out. A couple months not too far away but yeah those are the two main cards there's a couple other cards that got revealed there's a hatterini v max a, a new sky ceiling stone card and also a simisir v star but none of these cards seem like the strongest the uh gigas and eternatus though both very cool definitely yeah. both excited to give a shot to those but um yeah i think that's gonna do it for this week's podcast as well you got any closing thoughts for us no, I think that's I think that's gonna do it for me as well, Chip. Um, so yeah, send us away. Yeah, thanks everyone for tuning in. As always, if you did enjoy, please be sure to leave us a like on the YouTube video or a rating on your favorite podcasting platform. Seriously, it does go a super long way in helping us out, and it only takes a second. Um, especially if you're like listening on Spotify, all you just click like two buttons. You go click and then you leave your rating and that's it super easy and it really does help us out a bunch if you want to stay connected to us you can do that over on social media the best place to do it is on twitter at least for the time being you can follow me at chip richie azul is at azul underscore gg and you can also follow the podcast at uncommon underscore energy and yeah thanks a bunch to everyone for the continued support as always we will be back next week Tuesday morning, 7 a.m. EST for me and Azul. Thanks so much for listening, guys, and we'll catch you next week. Peace.